I thought that in the spirit of Twitter increasing their character limit to um, 280 characters, that we would have an episode which was twice as long as our standard episode. What do you think? No, because and 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 I I, I want to disclose to people so they can see behind the scenes like that I I'm tasking you with running this entire episode. Um, I'm actually super tired today, so I'm gonna do all that I can to make this the shortest possible show. <laughs> so so maybe in rebellion of Twitter's change, having an episode that's maybe half the length of what we normally do. Or in the true spirit of Twitter, I'm just going to talk shit about Puerto Rico, uh, Puerto Rican <laughs> officials, and um. Just make sure they know that this this wasn't a real tragedy. So let's let, let's keep moving. Um, yeah, like the the la- I was looking at the the over not the Overcast, not the Overwatch, um, the the Pocket Casts for our our thing, and our last three episodes have been super long. So let, let's let's aim for under an hour today. I mean, that's you know that, that as we aptly named last week's episode, that this is our our busiest time of the year. Yeah, but I don't think it has to be. You know, let's 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 uh, let's 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 make like Steve Jobs and be great editors, and we'll uh, we'll sit, we'll have a thousand no's for each yes, and we'll we'll make this uh, super tight. Okay, that that sounds like a plan. Let's just shove notches into everything. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I've got some some follow up from from last week, mm-hmm. uh, con- continuing to the theme here of doing things on the show that you would normally take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so the the um, Amazon event that happened last week. Mm-hmm. So we had both made a comment, I believe, during the show that we did not know about the event and were sort of caught off guard by the event. And it turns out that the event itself was embargoed and that folks who were invited to it were not allowed to disclose that it was happening until I think maybe the night before or it could have even been the morning of. So that that's why... We didn't hear much about this event beforehand. Apparently, some of the products may may have leaked before, um, but the event itself was, I, I guess, largely unknown. That's a pretty sound strategy. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not really, sh- I'm not really sure what the strategy actually is there, but I uh, probably that Amazon doesn't want people to like. I like Amazon. They they push out a lot of hardware where. I think maybe they don't want people to kind of think, uh, oh, <clears throat> sorry, that the um, Echo is due for imminent replacement and create like some weird like halo effect that people don't want to buy it. Because like the Echo was, because um, it was one of Oprah's favorite things, which means she still had her show, which means the original Echo probably came out in 2013 or 14. Anyway. Like, I, I assume they just don't want people to, like, have this looming thing about, like, oh, Amazon has a an event planned for um, October 2017, and, and this is August, and people um, just start thinking about, like, what, what's going to come out. So, I don't know. I, I, I think that's smart if, if they can run with that. Like, I'm sure the Republicans would like to do that with any future bills that they have. So, I mean, you just kind of spring it on people. Uh, moving on. Um, the, the, other, <laughs> the other The other bit of follow-up. Um, that Sorry, November sixth, twenty fourteen. Oh, okay. R- r- some some real time follow up within follow up. Sorry to, to pause. Sorry, derail. I totally forgot that you had to be invited to buy one. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so for the first, it wasn't until June twenty third of twenty fifteen, according to Wikipedia, that's never wrong, uh, that you could actually choose elect to buy one. 
Huh. Sort of, sort of like how you used to need a um, .edu email address to sign up for Facebook. Uh, I, th- I think that might be fake news. <laughs> um, so then the other bit of follow-up from last week's event is we also struggled to elaborate on what the uh, Echo Connect was, which was the the product that, in Amazon's own words here, turns your Echo into a voice-controlled speakerphone. So for some clarification here, it turns out that the Echo it can can make phone calls without this device. I believe, and I believe you do so in a couple of different ways. You can make echo to echo phone calls, or you can connect your cell phone number to the Echo through the um, the Echo app, and then I think you can call other phone numbers um, in North America for for free. Just using your, basically, I guess, piggybacking off of your cell phone. But then the Echo Connect is a device that allows the Echo to use your landline to make phone calls. Which, when I kind of had that clarified here in the last couple of days, the, the thing that I keep thinking about is, how much overlap is there really between people who would buy echoes and people who have a landline like that venn diagram has to be fairly narrow right um i would i don't know i assume this this is one of those technologies where like kind of it might like i i think i think this is one of those things that appeals to super nerds at the early adopters set of thing and then actually there's probably like uh like a gulf or like or like a like a like a like a reverse bell curve where you got the crazy early adopters on one end and actually maybe it appeals to the people who want something like this is a way that somebody would get information from the internet like who wouldn't want to use a computer or a smartphone like the people that microsoft wanted to do with um remember web tv i do i do remember web tv yes like it kind of seems like that kind of product sort of like I don't know, just something that you could say, like, "Hey, what, uh, like a uh, lady, uh, um, Mrs. Bezos, like, what's uh, what's on the <laughs> what's uh, how many teaspoons in in a gallon of uh, a gallon of Arnold Palmer or something? Like, it's that kind of thing." Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know because I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, do you know many uh, like what you'd call average people that have echoes? And I, in average, I mean. Sorry middle-aged like i mean like <laughs> do you know what i mean like people like age 40 to 55 no I, I i don't i think i know exactly one other household that has an echo and i i consistently get the comment from people when they come over and we demo the echo which everyone when they see it they want us to do they come on how neat that is and how much they would like one but then those people just never end up getting one I think maybe that it, that it's now at at Whole Foods and it's it's like just everywhere because like Target carries it, Best Buy carries it, and like I, I assume that has to hit critical mass eventually because I don't think many people are staying away from it based off like the privacy concerns. So I think eventually the whole like voice computer thing will be like a, a, an interface that people do think like I think that's going to happen eventually. It's sure as hell it's not going to be the HomePod that makes that happen, but. I think that the biggest thing is the Echo is best at 
smart home stuff, or at least I, I, that's what I primarily use it for. And I, I think that's what it's best at. And that's really what differentiates it from a lot of these other voice mm. assistants. But you're not a normal. Well, but no, no, that, that's where I'm leading with this. I, I, to me, that's sort of what's maybe holding the echo back is the fact that the thing that it's best at is the thing that continues to be just an absolute mess that any you know non-techie person like us has absolutely no shot at figuring out. And I think I think the Echo Plus is sort of a indication that Amazon's becoming aware of that, where you know they're at least making a first attempt at saying, you know, at least we can help you minimize the amount of bridges and gadgets you need to get your smart home stuff going. We're going to bundle a bulb right in the box; it's going to work right away, and you'll be able to, you know, simply and easily add additional devices. You know, assuming that that they're Zigbee compliant. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think I think that thing that's the big thing that's sort of maybe holding it back a bit. I'm going to disagree with almost all of that. Like I, I think that you're wrong in this. Like that, I don't. I think the Echo Plus and the second generation Echoes are based off of Amazon being really smart about how people are using this type of stuff and finding out that, in addition to the stuff that it is good at, of basic voice response stuff, playing podcasts, conjuring up music, that kind of stuff, which I think has a lot of value for a lot of people. The fact that you say that it, in your opinion, it's mainly only good for smart home control, like no, I, I think that that's what it's that's what it's best at. A tomato potato. Like I mean, I think that their their acknowledgement of the Echo Plus, of I think they're just adopting and doubling down on the idea that this is something that maybe they thought was secondary and can now be a key differentiator in features. So that that way, no, you're right. Like they can eliminate the bridge, and by including a hue bulb as kind of like a gateway drug, and like just like a first taste is free or whatever. Like that's I, I think I don't think that's them. I don't think you were saying they were admitting failure, but I think like that's that's just them like just doubling down on what they maybe weren't sure the product was good at. I don't think that's an admission that it's not good at everything else. I think that's just solidifying one of its key use cases. So I mean, I, I we're kind of saying the same thing, but I think I would paint it in a much uh, rosier way. Yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is that. I think when a lot of people start to look into, oh, okay, I hear that the Echo can do some home automation stuff or some voice controlled lights and things like that. And they go to look into what all's involved in getting that set up. And they start seeing things like Zigbee standard and HomeKit and getting additional bridges. I just think it sort of turns a lot of people off. Or I think there are probably other people who actually attempt to buy an Echo and go to set up the smart home stuff give it like a weekend and then just return everything because it's such a infuriating mess. But I think Apple's more of a problem with that than anybody. I think Apple is doing more of a disservice to the smart home space than anybody. I think any of those returns are based off of people frustrated with how poorly any of the Apple integration works. Well, perhaps, but I don't really think much of the Echo stuff is dependent upon anything Apple's doing. No, I think like any confusion about like, because uh, Amazon Echo and uh, Google Home like they work with almost anything. It's 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 the the inconsistencies and unreliability. I think mostly stem from HomeKit being incredibly picky and also just poorly supported because uh, most smart home people just don't care to to work in inside of Apple's really strict ecosystem. Hmm. Yeah, that 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 could be. That could be. Um, I don't know. I I commend uh what are they called Amazon. Um, 
because like i i just think that including one bulb in the box is just so damn smart because like because because a white echo or not a white echo bulb a white hue bulb like the retail cost is like 15 dollars. i'm sure it costs phillips like five bucks to make and like that just leads to like the realization like if you pitch something that's like hey this could control a smart home and then people like go google phillips hue and then the first result is like this ninety nine or one hundred twenty nine dollar like combo bridge kit. They're like, oh fuck this. But no, if you if you include a bulb and in, in that gives them proof of concept immediately, even if they're like kind of eh, whatever, let's see how this works. I think that's so much more compelling than anything else that somebody can do to try to force smart home adoption. Well, speaking of smart home stuff, uh, we have the the first reviews of uh, I- IKEA's new smart lights Trot which free. the <laughs> which the verge quips in their headline here as being as stylish and breakable as its furniture which i'm not not entirely sure i appreciate the verge's snarky attitude towards ikea but uh it, it does sound like these bulbs are are kind of a kind of a mess which you know when we were talking about this offline I think I, I said something to you to the effect of, you know, on one hand, it's sort of disappointing, but on the other hand, it's Ikea. Like, did you really think they were going to come in and make a better smart, smart bulb than Philips and some of the other players that are out there? I think there was the premise that maybe they um, they could introduce more aggressive and like uh, like more price points for the frugal uh, among us. Yeah, I, I guess, but but it, like, it, I, so yeah, like I, I think like yeah, it's probably gonna be bad and it's gonna it's gonna fail and all that kind of stuff. But um, like I think not to pivot this too much and you you can bring us back on track. But like I actually think like the in terms of like the smart technology that that IKEA is integrating into stuff, I think they're embracing of um the QI uh, charging standard and putting that type of wireless charging she. stuff. I'm not gonna call it that. <laughs> It's, I've called it QI for five years or however long it's existed, and Apple's not going to force me to call it that. <laughs> so QI charging, I think that's how um, I think their integration of that into into like a whole ton of um, their like mid range furniture products is actually um, that's going to be much more impactful than I think the smart lights are probably going to be. Remember that time they tried to make a TV. Oh, I did. Didn't they make a version of it that was like literally built into the the console that it was on? Well, let's see, IKEA television. But, which I don't think they, I don't think they ended up selling that in the U.S. I think the version that was built into the the, the media cabinet was maybe a European only thing. It was called Upliva, <laughs> or Upliva, U P P L E V A. Um. And it was a television, Blu-ray player, 2.1 sound system, all wrapped up into a piece of furniture. Um, yeah, geez. And the uh, we'll we'll put this um, Gizmodo article from back in 2012 in the notes here. The uh, the title here is the IKEA TV reviewed worse than assembling 100 bookshelves at once. <laughs> uh, so so apparently apparently I don't think it was very good. Yeah, it's fine. But the thing, like, and again, like Ikea, they do weird stuff. Like they even make, uh, they have like a bicycle, which apparently is pretty all right. Yeah, four ninety nine, you get the Ikea Slada. <laughs> oh, shit. Wait, hold on. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hold on. It's, uh, let me send you a link in the thing. Um, 
It's a, a an IKEA family deal right now, and when you're in Emeryville, your family. It's three ninety nine right now. Huh. I've I have not seen this in the store, but they have an entire bicycles and bicycle accessories section, evidently. Uh, is one of them a wireless charging dock that's powered by your uh, your motion? Um. Oh, she can get a reflective vest for four ninety nine. Also, I exclusive to IKEA family members. Huh. Um. Anyways, off track. I I would not. <laughs> I I love IKEA. I would not trust my brain to one of their bicycle helmets. Well, but would you feel any differently if that bicycle was built by someone from TaskRabbit? Yeah, you're man. You you are aggressive with the transitions today. You're like a. <laughs> I, I, I all right I, whatever you, you you put me in charge i i run a i run a tight ship here you, you, you uh what, what did mitch mcconnell say yeah who can uh you're don't you're, you're good at controlling I, the paper don't ever compare me i'm to not comparing you i'm just ninja turtle anyway they're, they're tackling tax reform and it's fine um uh, and i'm not i'm not comparing you i'm just saying the, did you listen to that new washington are you subscribed yet Oh, I am, and there's a an impressive backlog I have on my on on my uh, Overcast queue. I'm making some progress on the the podcast step, but I'm I'm still. You gotta unsubscribe from all this video game nonsense, man. Yeah, Our country is in peril, and you, you can't. How much can you listen? Can I pivot this again? What is Overwatch? Why do I keep hearing about this? I know what Destiny is. What is Overwatch? So Overwatch is a first-person shooter made by Blizzard. It was at one point a MMO, a, a massive multiplayer online game similar to WoW, and the project got completely scrapped, and people thought that it was going to just basically never come out. But then Blizzard reworked the characters and the environments and turned it into a, a first-person shooter where the goal isn't so much to kill your opponents it's it's much more like objective based so there are maps where you have to sort of um, shepherd along like a vehicle or some other type of item and, and get it across to the other side of the map without it being destroyed kind of a, objectives like that and it's got a very um kind of cartoonish um vibe to it so it's not you know it, it it's a shooter but it's not violent or anything like that and it's it's an incredibly incredibly popular. So it's very popular. Is it good? Like is I, yeah, is it yeah. objectively good? It is. Yeah. Is this one of the games where they DLC you to death, or what? It, what? Because again, like you understand, like I'm or like I'm very anti video game because it seems like it's just too much work. But like in all of those like Call of Duties and all the other stuff, it seems like everything is you can you can pay your way to the top or it's dlc for everything is this that way or is this not a game that you're into um i to be honest i've only played it a couple of times sort of when it first came out so i haven't followed it much but i don't believe there's much in the way of in-game purchases um i i think you can buy like it's it, there's the, the loot crates is the thing in that game where you you like you get crates of stuff and and you get like primary just sort of like visual stuff like clothes and things like that and i i don't know if you can buy those with real money or if you can strictly buy them with currency that you earn in the game that that part i'm not entirely sure of okay 
All right. Sorry for that derail. What, what was it before that? Uh, we were trying, I, I had such a beautiful segue into Ikea purchasing TaskRabbit. Oh, it, it, sorry. I was, no, it, it was, oh, your podcast thing. Or sorry, the fact that the new Washington is, is very good. I, I have not listened to the Nancy Pelosi episode yet, but that has been one of the, like, I've learned a ton from it or yeah, it's, 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 it's very, been very interesting. Yeah. But you, you gotta, you gotta maybe, maybe break, uh, break free from these video game podcasts. Because you haven't you said that you also kind of don't have time or the will to play video games anymore, mostly? Or am I am I miss? Mostly. So the 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 video game podcasts are sort of my way to get that out of my system. Okay, I can kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah, but hmm, all right, that's yeah, all right. Um. Okay. Yeah. Uh, IKEA bought TaskRabbit. Um. Yeah, I um I have never I've never used TaskRabbit. I'm familiar with what they do. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't buy for a minute that they're going to just kind of remain the same. I mean, IKEA I don't think explicitly said that. All they all they said was that they were going to at least for now continue to operate as an independent company. But so TaskRabbit, you can hire people to do just about anything. And like, I mean, including like standing in line for you to like get the newest iPhone. Um, And I I just cannot imagine that Ikea is going to continue to have the company offer those types of services. So I I would not be at all surprised to see over the next, you know, six to 18 months, TaskRabbit sort of get folded into a Ikea delivery uh, and assembly uh, focused org. And I, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. I, I could see, I could see how some people would see that as a big value add, but I, I have a very kind of love hate relationship with building IKEA furniture. And even though it can be incredibly frustrating, I feel like I would sort of be cheating myself out of part of the experience if I had someone else build uh, something from there for me. You know what I mean? most definitely like it it, it's a satisfying type of experience or at least it allows you to know what parts of it are are super rickety (laughs) that you kind of need to know for like a public safety (laughs) type thing but i think it's that way with all furniture like i i'm i don't know i wouldn't want to like i'm i've weaned myself off of most um like from an ikea-based existence and people can refer back to that previous episode but like no, like any type of furniture building, like that's so, th- like it's so relaxing, and 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 it's I I wouldn't trade that. I don't know, like maybe my time is not valuable, or I'm not an important person. Both things probably true, but I I just I it doesn't feel like something I'd want to give up. Like I've only used TaskRabbit once, and it was fine, but like I don't know, like it's, uh, I I don't know. One thing I could potentially get behind. And IKEA offers this today, which is the the, oh, the, the delivery. delivery piece. Mm-hmm. I, I do I I derive no pleasure out of the experience of getting IKEA boxes out of the store into my car and then out of my car into my apartment. That that part of the experience I I, I would consider hiring someone to do. But if I recall, I've looked into that in the past with IKEA, and it's not cheap. Like it was, it wasn't super, super expensive, but it wasn't, it wasn't a trivial cost, something like that. Yeah. Which when you live as close to an Ikea as we do seems, I don't know, even though it is a little bit of a pain, that seems like a, a bit of a wasted, a wasted expense. Eh, maybe. Um, okay. 
I have, I have, I have no agenda or show notes. So this, this is all you. I don't know where we're going after this. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, IKEA family members eat for free October 7th and 8th. Um, I, um, yeah, it must, that must be around the same time, um, every year because I remember the year we moved up here. I specifically delayed going there an extra weekend to buy a bunch of furniture for our place so that I could get the, the free food coupon when I went. It's that frugality that allows you to afford the iPhone 10. That, that's right. So let's, let's pivot away from the IKEA stuff and talk a bit about uh, our, our friend, the Apple TV, uh, where there were a couple, couple, good, couple good reads this week in the aftermath of the release of the Apple TV 4K. Uh, one on Daring Fireball, which we'll link to here in the notes, and then another on The Verge, which we will also link to in the notes. Uh, so the, the Daring Fireball article, uh, this is called Cultural Insularity in Apple TV. It's focused a lot on the fact that as part of Amazon's event last week, they announced a $70 Amazon Fire TV that has you know 4K HDR support, supports 4K at 60 frames per second, has Dolby Atmos integration, in a lot of ways is better than the Apple TV 4K. Um, and, you know, the whole piece sort of is focused on, you know, Apple with their laptops and with phones, I, I think can comfortably command the, the premium that you pay for those devices compared to similarly specced uh, computers and phones. But in the case of Apple TV, that seems like a really hard sell. And it seems like, you know, just Apple's uh, Apple always publicly says they think that the TV is really important and is a, you know, area of interest for them. But it kind of feels like they're kind of seeding the market to players like Amazon by not really not really being able to justify the the premium on an Apple TV like they can with some of their other products. Okay, so is, is that the analysis of the situation, or is that what you think? That's um, I'm sure I'm, I'm butchering a little bit, but um, but or, but both I think. Or I'm, yeah. So I'm saying, so do you agree with that assessment? I I mean I've never used a Fire TV, so I guess I'm not in a position to compare the two, but. I guess I would be surprised if, in fact, the Apple TV 4K was, in fact, $100 better than Amazon's product. So I think, like, in terms of, like, having another streaming media thing, like, I think I had a Roku for a small amount of time, like, in 2009 or 2010, when they were fairly new and the concept of, like, a media streamer thing was novel. Um, And it was whatever. Like, but I'm, like, I'm dumb. Like, I'm going to pay the extra premium for the Apple thing just because, like, and... The one thing that kills me is that, like, Gruber and a few others will uh, promote the idea that, um, like, the, one of the benefits of, of overpaying for an Apple TV is that you have the luxury of purchasing media from iTunes, which, am I wrong in thinking that I don't understand how that's possibly a benefit? Um, I, I consider it a benefit. Uh, how? I, I think the selection's really good. The prices are good. The convenience is sort of unbeatable. I, you know. Okay. Maybe. I, I, think, I think it's a really, I think renting a movie from iTunes is a really good experience. But I, I assume it's equally good. It would be equally good if you had a, a, a Fire TV stick. 
like I, Amazon, Amazon is so good at allowing you to part with your money. I, I think they, they have to be better than Apple in that regard. So I, I don't know, but like, I, I do I, like, I'm not sure it's cultural insularity or, or like whatever the, like that whole narrative was, but I just think the Apple TV, like it, we talked about this a couple of episodes, uh, episodes ago. I think that be, the fact that they left the old Apple TV at the ridiculous uh, price point of 149 that it launched at originally, and when the new one came out, it just became more expensive, and the old one did not take a price drop of any sort. Just shows that Apple doesn't actually like this. This product segment is just it's a hobby, and they think maybe it's a product that they have to make, but they they don't actually care like when when tim cook came on stage and was like oh the future of tv is apps and all all that jazz that didn't actually go anywhere like i I just think they aren't actually serious about this as a product because if they were like i i refuse to believe that they are not making money on this on on like the old one and that if they drop the price even a little bit that they still wouldn't maintain 35 to 40 percent margins on it so i think they just don't care about this as being a product category where people identify that apple is an important part of that ecosystem i think maybe they think they can coast off of like oh it, it supports airplay and since we won't license airplay to anybody else in like a video type format thing that uh, we'll we'll just hope people spend the the one fifty. I don't. I, I just don't see the comp- the advantages that this has. I appreciate that Apple has my privacy in mind, and I assume the Amazon box is probably mining data and collecting every single tap and click that I do. If if I were to have that product, and and that's probably a net negative. But I th- is it literally twice as good? For, for the extra money like i think that's a much harder sell for a lot of people and that just again that's based off of apple approaching this as a hobby that they don't care about yeah i i i think i think so too um and then the other the other interesting article this is the verge one about the apple tv is um our our friend of the show gene munster's long-standing dream of apple building an actual tv and the case here makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I'm not saying that I think Apple's going to make a TV or that they should, but the the reasoning behind why they could in this article makes a lot of sense to me and gets back to a lot of what we were talking about last week with 4K just being an unbelievable mess. Apple could take out so much of the the pain of you know frame rates and color gammas and all that which is I find to be an issue with the Apple TV. They could take all that out of the picture if they just also made the display themselves. And they're just they're so darn good at making displays across all of their other products that I also just kind of selfishly wish they would make a TV. Mm, uh, dispute a lot of that because Apple doesn't make any displays themselves. As as the whole point of why the iPhone 10 is going to be so supply constrained. It's because they are demanding a lot of um, displays from Samsung that, like, they're the only people that make quality, uh, like, 10-inch and below uh, OLED displays. And LG is currently the only company that's making quality, like, 40-inch and above um, uh, OLED displays. So if they made their own television set or, or if that was the thing, they wouldn't be making their own TV they would be building a box and casing around somebody else's panel and probably charging a fuck ton of money for it. 
so I, is there a market for somebody to make a good TV that like simplified a lot of this and maybe d- that supported like the highest color gamut and color spaces and didn't have a bunch of BS around um, what 422 and 420 and UHD color and put a bunch of spiffy names on whatever it is like Samsung does. I'm sure there's a market for somebody to do that. Maybe when Vizio stops stealing all your information and, and selling it to advertisers, they can go do that. I don't see how Apple is the company that makes this happen. Because again, Apple doesn't care about this market segment and all they would do is mark up somebody else's panel and make just make a box around it. I don't know. I I, I don't see I don't see the thing here. I'd still I'd still like Apple to make a, a TV. Even if they're not <laughs> the one actually making the display themselves, they clearly have good taste in what a good display should look like. So regardless of who's actually making it. But so does LG. Like every time you walk in a Best Buy or a Costco, like don't you just kind of like just lose your train of thought and be like, oh, pretty? <laughs> like I, <clears throat> like they're sourcing good displays and they have good taste in that respect, sure. But I just, I just don't see what qualifies them to. Like I think every part of their business model means that it it doesn't make sense for them, and I just, I don't know, like how much would it cost? Let, let, let's let's pretend this is going to happen. Let's let's see like let's pretend Tim Cook thinks hey there's money to be made here and by God we're gonna do it. What do, what do they charge? I'd I'd say a 55 inch version would be. Sorry, is it OLED or is it um something I, else? I assume so. Yeah. Okay. So keep in mind, uh, LG a 55 inch C7 like their good OLED TV is two ninety nine or sorry two twenty two nine ninety nine. Yeah, I I would guess Apple's would probably be. 3500 maybe okay does it have a built-in apple tv or is the apple tv separate it has a built-in apple tv so anytime they upgrade the processor you have to buy a new tv right hmm. yeah I, I i don't necessarily see it I, I i do i can see why somebody would want like yeah i don't hmm so you think there's enough value that they bring to that thing or to, to like that where it's worth it i mean maybe i'm Maybe it's just because I'm a nerd and get obsessed with this kind of stuff, but I just, again, I find the the whole 4K experience to just be really frustrating, and there's just all kinds of technical aspects to it that I don't understand and seem like they're actually pretty important to make sure that you're actually getting a, a good 4K experience. And so if there was a way to simply just enjoy 4k and hdr for what it is and a display that sort of just automatically takes care of refresh rates and color gammas and all that nonsense i i for me there'd be a lot of value in that well so okay let me make a couple of counterpoints like so let's say you got and, and i understand that the tv we both have is kind of meh and, and again i don't want to connect it to the internet because of samsung's sketchiness like let's say doesn't lg have um where it runs WebOS? Like, how is that not just the built-in apps on a smart TV, since those are designed to work natively with 4K and the best possible color settings and all that kind of stuff? Like, how is that not already a thing? Like, other than Apple's debatable with the TV thing, like design and user interface prowess, like, how is that not really the same thing? Well, I haven't used the web OS TV interface but i mean i can speak to the the interface that's on the samsung tv that we both have and it's it's pretty awful 
then I do have mine connected to the internet, and so I've been able to use it that way. And yeah, pretty pretty bad. So I, I'd have to imagine the Apple TV interface is a lot better than even the the web OS um, stuff. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking a little out of turn there. Well, but like I I bring that up to say that I think that accomplishes most of your goal. Like let's say like like why wouldn't Apple partner with LG and just say you know what, we're gonna make just like I think I forget if this was on the show or if this is offline about what does Apple do with its connected car division thing? Like do they partner with somebody else? Are they somebody making software for? existing cars like how does that play out like why wouldn't they just provide really good like built-in apple tv for somebody's like tv like that just seems because like if if the box is in the tv or if it was modular or something or somebody like i think that solves all the issues yeah i think it does but i i don't i have a hard time seeing apple doing that yeah, but I was gonna, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. Even Apple, that, that man, I'm, I'm, I'm super on Apple today. I'm sorry, but like, I, I even somebody who enjoys forcing customers to upgrade, I think that's the most politest way I can say it. Um, I don't think they would incorporate the Apple TV in a non-modular way into the television set because I think it's just, it's even too greedy beyond Apple to expect people to replace a $3,000 TV every two to four years. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Cause here's the thing. Like I also on a frequent basis, see people uh, carrying their IMAX into an Apple store. And just, if if you just like, just magnify that by like somebody has a wall mounted TV and they have to pry it off the wall and take their busted TV to the Apple, to the genius Grove. And like three people have to carry it in. Like, I don't think that's a thing. And then I don't assume I I just don't see a future where there are Apple repair technicians that come to your house to fix the burn in on your OLED TV. Yeah, that <laughs> doesn't doesn't seem very likely. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel I feel bad. It's a good dream though. Like you you want you want your apartment to be like Apple Park. Like you kind of want like a bespoke Johnny Ive comes and makes every single surface perfect. So, and I get that. So no, I, I think why would I would compare it to is what I've been experiencing with photos on my iPhone, and com- comparing that experience to the standalone SLR that I gave a, a try. I I'm finding more and more that even though I'm still a, to- a total tech geek, like I just don't I don't enjoy fiddling around with stuff the way that I used to. Like I. I I'm sure we've talked about this before, but I I used to actually really love, you know, immediately installing the latest beta NVIDIA drivers and tweaking all kinds of like advanced graphic settings inside the driver and and all that kind of nonsense or like changing RAM timings and, you know, just endless amounts of stuff like that. And I just, I just don't, I don't get the same enjoyment out of that. I, I think just because time is so much more valuable than it you know than it is when you're in, in middle school and have more time than you know what to do with um mm-hmm. and so i just i really do i mean i know that we, we we joke all the time about apples you know it just works line and there, there's reasons behind that but in a case like with the photo stuff it really does just work and it works exactly the way that i want it to so if, if i could have a tv where 
I just don't have to deal with all this 4K nonsense, and it it just just where I can just rent the movie on iTunes. All the settings are just exactly how they should be, and away I go. I I would enjoy that. I get. I I, I receive and, and and appreciate your point, but I don't I don't think those are comparable though. I think Apple working tirelessly for the past decade to iterate and, and improve the camera systems and the software and how it all works together. Like, I think that's something they've done extremely well. At. And, and I'm coming around to portrait mode as once they take it out of the plus models or, or like they, it's, it stops being trapped inside the plus models exclusively like that. That will be an amazing day for, for this country and, and for, or, or just for everybody. But um, I don't think that, I know 4K is a mess, but as you have you listened to Upgrade yet? I have. Like, like you know, like the uh, the YouTube uh, 4K codec debate. Like it, that would also be a bad experience just because Apple's stubborn. Like, the, the, I I think I think you might be idealizing what they might be able to bring to this equation like sure if you're saying that yes i only want content content that's in 4k from the itunes store and this this mythical um uh forthcoming television service that they won't negotiate on to get content deals like i i don't see where that actually pans out into this utopia because if you because the whole point of like high def is like there were always issues like where like even to this day ESPN and ABC are still broadcasting on 720p where most other channels are broadcasting on 1080i and then you have your uh television signal that's coming from Comcast that's compressed to hell and looks like it's uh like a 56k modem on on half the channels cuz it's just so hyper compressed and it's like blocky so like i i i don't see where apple just because they make the box and the TV where that fixes the diversity of media and sources coming into the box or the TV where Apple does not have the sway to dictate that. Like they, in the computer space back when uh, online video and that kind of stuff was like nascent, they were able to push H.264 video and MPEG-4 like to the forefront. And when like the iPhone didn't support uh, Flash, that accelerated the adoption of um, H.264 as like the predominant, uh, like super compatible video format. But 4K is, as as you've said, like way more disparate, like Dolby has their competing like audio formats and there's like all these weird HDR standards that are all mixed across a whole bunch of manufacturers. I just, I don't think Apple being involved and controlling two components fixes an ecosystem where there are hundreds of actors uh, that don't really care. Thank you for killing my Apple TV dream. I'm all right. I just, I just want you to live in the, live in the now and live in the real world. <laughs> um, no, I mean you 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 make fair points. I the the, the problems with TV and specifically the, the quality of video content is a maybe a, a bigger broader issue than I'm than I'm sort of making it out to be. And yeah, you're right. It, it probably is a little narrow narrow minded to think that Apple, you know, selling you the display would would fix much of that. Well, and on that note, like let's say Apple, because here's something I think Apple might do. 
is that they would say like they would make a, a site on their uh, like a page on their on like uh, support.apple.com that said these are televisions that we that support the you know like kind of have, have like have one well, the carplay actually no that's not a good example but like on their website they're like the these current model TVs are tested and work awesomely with Apple TV 4K. I think that's totally something they would do. Right. I like the other half of like why this is a weird thing and where I don't think they're totally invested in it is like where's the where's the content of like where's the non iTunes 4K content on Apple TV 4K? Like is the Netflix app is the Hulu app is it, it, HBO it, Go? So so Netflix, yes. Oh, damn. But, edit that one out. <laughs> but HBO Go, no. Hulu, no. Amazon and then, Prime Video, still not even there. Right. And then the other big sources of 4K video are Amazon Prime Video and YouTube. And there is no Amazon Prime Video app, although that's coming soon and we'll presumably have 4K. But then with YouTube, it's kind of a whole other mess where Apple doesn't support... Uh, I don't. For what's the codec that Google uses? Like I think it's VP nine. VP nine, right? Thing. Right. Yeah. But and that's um, the one I think it's royalty free. Like I don't, I, I don't like that's not Amazon, or not Google's business model. They're not trying to like extort like uh, licensing money from Apple. It's just that Apple thinks H.265 is it, and screw everybody else. Sigh. All right. What? what uh, can you give me a preview of other things that might be on the table, and we'll 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 pick the best of the best. Um, well, I mean, we don't, we won't really have any, um, time sensitive stuff. Um, we do have a couple of, well, what's out um, a couple of other, um, iPhone 10 or iPhone X stuff, as you would say. Um, Ooh, hold on. Can I, can I, can I pause real quick? Sure. Hold on. Or let me, I got, wait, I unblocked Twitter. So let me look at my likes. Um, there was this one thing of somebody who showed what the, the next I, the successor to the iPhone 10 would look like. I thought it was really good, but I I think I didn't send it to you yet. Because honestly, I know this is a joke, but I think I actually wouldn't hate this. <laughs> so we'll yeah we'll we'll put this in the notes. But this is the iPhone XS or iPhone 10S. Come on, man. Um, the tagline here now with notch-free display technology, and the notch is just a, a bump at the top of the phone. But like they they did the camera bump. Like, like, I actually think this is, I think this looks way less ridiculous than the notch. It looks goofy, but I like it. I think it functionally, it's way less dumb. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you, but I don't know, man. We'll see. I mean, I think, I think the notch really is going to end up being one of those things that you have to live with to see in practice how much it impacts the display well so and, and you you can put it in the show notes but like there's that page or like thing that like on the webkit blog that apple put up like how you design your entire website around this weird design compromise they made like that's just like alternatively apple i guess they could make this a portrait only phone like could they just dis disable orientation lock for anything but games and video is that an alternative because most of the most of the terrible design considerations are based on landscape mode, or that's when the notch becomes like uh, just painfully obvious that it exists. <sighs> uh, actually, looking at your outline here, there was one other thing that I did want to talk about. Um, 
did you th- see the thing or at least uh, skim it about the public radio and self-driving cars? Yeah. So I thought this was a really interesting, not a thought experiment is probably the wrong word, but like just thing to think about where public radio for the past 30 years or 40 years since NPR became a thing and, and podcasts to um, uh, a different degree have been very, very strongly linked to cars and like an American car culture. And like you, you listen to Marketplace on your drive home and like and you, you do stuff like that. So what happens when self-driving cars, whether they be on like kind of like it, it, it's provided by Lyft or Uber or Waymo or whatever, or just like a private uh, but self-driving car that you own as a, as a private citizen. Do you think what you listen to and do in the car changes when you aren't focused on the road? I mean, it feels like it has to, right? So is that a bad thing for public radio and podcasts? Yeah, probably. I mean, not not in the near term where, you know, in air quotes, self-driving is still going to require driver attention and having, you know, hands on the wheel. But like thinking longer term where those are no longer requirements. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I do think that could be a concern. Yeah, that that's concerning. Or like, that's kind of a bummer. I, like I, I, I greatly will if, if if I have to pick does all things considered still exist versus all the lives saved by self-driving cars like I'm obviously gonna pick the second one but I do like all things considered um it's just yeah it's something it's something I hadn't thought about but the one thing that you did bring up is do you really think that like excluding all the the Tesla nonsense where they have like this autopilot mode that they're like oh but don't it, it's it is total like like Elon Musk will like uh, like BS and all, like be like, ah, it's full self driving. But like when the lawyers come in, they're like, no, keep your hands on the wheel. And and you, if if it's ever in an accident, it's it's the driver's fault and all that kind of stuff. But like, do you think when self driving becomes a thing, do you think it's still going to be a driver must pay attention thing, like in the in- introductory period, or do you think when self driving cars are out, like it's going to be you can be reading your Kindle in your Amazon car or whatever, and it's totally good to go. Well, I mean, we've discussed ad nauseum around what the kind of time horizon around this stuff is. I mean, given an infinite time horizon, I'm, of course, self-driving cars are going to get to the point where you no longer have to pay attention. But well, I guess when the government says, cool, we're greenlighting self-driving cars and that's good, do you think it's still something that requires a fair amount of human intervention? Or do you think the government doesn't say yes until it's basically you type in an address and it does everything? Well, I mean, the government's already saying that we can test self-driving cars as they stand now, and as they stand now, they require driver attention. Well, I'm saying mass market, like when, like you, you walk into the the Ford store or the Tesla store, and you want a car. Like once it's beyond the testing phase, and all, all the states are on board, it will it will at least for some period of time require driver attention. I think, yeah. Okay. Hmm. And that's gonna be t- that's gonna be difficult to regulate. Like the, the cops are like, "Oh, you aren't paying enough attention to the car." Yeah. Well, like when that happens, are you able to be on your phone? Well, I mean, I don't know because do you take California's existing cell phone law while driving and change it if you have a self-driving car? I yeah. Guess, I I don't know. Hmm. I guess. I mean, I guess you. I guess you do, right? Yeah, that's gonna be a tricky time. Because that's that's where the guy who was previously in charge of the the Google X uh, self driving car thing uh, was like super anti, um, like increased like hybrid 
automated driving, but like in like safety features, because he feels like that unless it's full automation, it's not it's just training people to be lazy. And that overall is an even worse safety risk. So I think, yeah, that's, that's gonna be tricky. Mm-hmm. All right. And then before we wrap up, because I think we're we're probably if we if we add in both of these clips, we're at an hour, right? Well, you you can't you can't give that away. Nobody will know what we're talking about. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll pretend I, I baked cookies and, and I had to go get them fresh out of the oven. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's about right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, do you want to briefly discuss, and I, I it's going to be another thing we argue about, like about Jason Snell's article about Apple managing the iPhone buying dilemma? Yeah. When I had mentioned there were a couple of, um, uh, iPhone 10 or iPhone X, as you would say, articles out there. No. I, this was kind of the <laughs> the other one that I thought of. And I, yeah, when I read through this, I sort of instantly thought that it just you would just be infuriated. <laughs> well, because we've had this discussion, but I think we have more data now. Yeah, yeah. So you you take you take the lead on this one. Well, so I think I I read sixty percent of it, and then I just rolled my eyes. <laughs> uh, where I think that probably caused me to skip a couple paragraphs because I just I disagree strongly with this. Um, it, and this was a couple days ago, so you can tell me if I'm explaining this wrong. But basically, Jason is arguing that the people who want the iPhone 10, unless they absolutely can't afford it, are fine with waiting. And they're those are the people that used to always upgrade annually, and they're purchase of the iPhone or like the iPhone 10 coming out later isn't a problem because it's just going to defer the purchase slightly. And the people that might be put off by the price are the people who are upgrading every two to four years who are just going to say, oh, what's the next iPhone? And they're going to pick the eight. Is that it? Yeah, I, that, that's that's a, that's a good summary. I think a, there's a lot of interest and uh, desire for the iPhone 10 and that there's a lot of people who don't really care about the improvements that are in the eight line, especially since Apple has chosen, and I think um, purposefully so, or I think they could probably have trickled it down where the portrait mode and the dual camera system is now is still only in the eight plus. I think a lot of people looking at the eight versus the seven, which because remember Tim Cook loves keeping all the product SKUs around, all the great iPhones, they are looking down market. They either will think, oh, there's nothing really to upgrade to, and also the iPhone 10 is more than I want to spend. So I'm either going to keep my old phone or I am going to um maybe go for a seven. Like I don't I don't care about the eight. I like Jason is arguing that just like the eight is the new like de facto normal iPhone. And while I think that's probably true, it used to always be the top of the line iPhone. And now that you have this currently looming, but in a month and a half, it will be like an actual existing product where if somebody walks in thinking, okay, like it's been three years, I want the top of the line iPhone. I think a lot of people are going to say $1,150 is too much. And that will overall hurt sales in the total iPhone ecosystem. Well, that I think is 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 an interesting question. It is and there's no really you know way to answer it now. But what is Apple's iPhone strategy going forward? Is is the iPhone 10 a one-off kind of phone, or is this new 
structure of having sort of two new phones every year going to be the new strategy? That's exactly right. No, and, th- and that's been one of the things that I've been, like harped on the most, like, which is like, because uh, Ben Thompson, like, again, I, I know your podcast debt thing, but you should very, you should listen to Exponent. It's very good. Where his thing is like, uh, this is going to boost the average selling price. And that's one of the key metrics that Wall Street and also Tim Cook, you know, uh, right, maybe right behind or neck and neck with customer sat. He's looking at the average selling price of iPhones. And he wants to boost that number up every single year. And since they introduced the iPhone SE, there was a small drop in like a quarter when that phone was popular. But overall, um, with the way they've configured storage sizes and stuff, like they're gently pushing up the average selling price. So now that they're introducing a phone that starts at $1,000 and the real phone, if you're if, if you're going to spend, if you want the iPhone 10, you're buying the 256. Like no, nobody's buying the 64. They're going to manufacture like seven of them. Once you have a phone that sells for $1,150 and it's going to be in super in demand in Asia just because it's new and it screams new, even though that notch looks ridiculous, it screams new. That is going to provide a pretty decent bump to the average selling price. And I really doubt that Apple is going to say, oh, this was our 10th anniversary thing. You know what? That was a one-off. Now that component prices are cheaper, man, we're going to put all this stuff in the 699 iPhone. We we thank you for being Apple customers. We appreciate you sticking it out with us and letting us and indulging us while Johnny was able to make the idealized phone that he's wanted to make forever. I think that's bullshit. I, they're going to always have at the top end now, there's going to be a ridiculously priced uh, uh, bleeding edge phone. If that's how you want to, or if that's how somebody wants to phrase it, because I think that is the one of the um, like uh, thesis uh, theses of Jason, uh, where he's like Apple has been hamstrung by uh, component um, yields and stuff like that, and the costs where Apple hasn't been able to make phones that are cutting edge because they're held back by needing to sell tens of millions a quarter. So if that happens to be true, which I which I kind of am don't really believe that i still think they're gonna make a ultra premium phone all the time because nobody ever wants to make less money that's just it i think that's a that's a good way to end (laughs) good way to end that that's sorry uh, i think that was like eight minutes i apologize (laughs) i I have no pick of the week so you can just you can just jump uh, or you you can do your stuff special um okay um mine's sort of um i just a, a fun one this week uh calls calls back to the our um um ikea discussion from earlier and it's the um ikea place app is that the ar one yeah mm. you, you've played around with this right a little i my success has been limited with it but yeah maybe how's yours Mine's been kind of mine's been kind of limited too um i i can't I, get stuff to place on the floor like it's always in the air <laughs> so I had that issue too, but I find that you have you have to be in a really well lit room. The, uh, the lighting plays a big part of it. If you're in a well lit room, it seems to work pretty well. But if you're in kind of a darker room, not so much. But I think it serves as a really good demo app for AR Kit, which is not something I picture myself using a ton, at least for now. But it, using this app made me really appreciate sort of the potential of AR and it kind of made me realize that it is something that maybe over time I could, you know, really get into because it's really cool tech. 
It is. I kind of like, did you see the, the demos of like the, the tape measure thing? I did. Yeah. Like it's stuff like that. Like where, and you, you also saw you, you have P calc on your phone, right? You bought that. You know, I, they've been talking about that on upgrade recently. And, um, I don't, I don't think I do. Well, okay. Okay. So let's, I think I have, you, I have P calc light. Nah, you gotta get the full thing. So here's the thing. Like you're, you're an accounting and finance guy. Like a calculator should be very important to you. Yes. Or I'm, I'm sure like like being picky about having a calculator is very important. Like the key thing for me, let me actually send you a thing. Um, uh, like PCalc is like absolutely the, the, the best calculator that's available for iOS. But also specifically it has um, the thing. Hey, Slack didn't crash for once. Do you ever get the thing where you drag a file onto Slack for Mac and it just resets itself? Yes. Yeah, that happens like 50% of the time to me. It's really frustrating. Um, but yeah, like pcalc, you can actually put it in like your little notification thing and you just always have access to a really powerful calculator. Uh, just like right over there on the left. So like pcalc is amazing. But apparently like the developer was just wanted to play around with ARKit. So if you go to the about screen, and I don't know if this is on the light version as well, but like it gives you like this crazy like 3D AR, like, game within a calculator thing which uh, i i would check it out if you if it and see if it's in if it's in that version because it's, it's super crazy weird so, so you go to where where do you go uh let me go into the thing so p calc okay so you hit the the information button mm-hmm. you scroll to the bottom and then you go to advanced settings no somewhere there's a thing that says about um help maybe oh and then you tap on help and then you go to about pcalc about so i go to about pcalc light oh and it says buy anything or tip for 3d ar (laughs) so yeah i need to get the that's all right um okay that's that's me my pick of the week yeah. pro or whatever the other one is it's no it's seriously it's the best 10 like because <laughs> i i am a very picky crotchety person about uh things i use 50 times a day and for me that's that's a timer app and a calculator and yeah pcalc is kind of the best um but yeah so no I, ikea place that's cool okay so i'll try in a more well-lit room do you have um have you ever like do you do you use it for its intended purpose or like do you use it for fun? No, see that's that's the shame of it is there I don't I'm not in the market for anything from IKEA right now. There like there have been so many opportunities over the years where this actually would have been legitimately a great thing to have, but no, that's the shame of it is I just I don't really have anything to use it on right now. So is there like any like frivolous like fun that you've been having with it or is it or like is there anything like you can do with it or is it just proof of concept? Yeah, it's just kind of proof of concept. Because okay. like people, I don't know if you take Muni anymore or or if you take like Bart, apparently people are like doing things where like they they put fake furniture up in like in, in the waiting area <laughs> of uh, like the platforms of Bart and Muni Metro Station. So that's that's fun. As you do. Yeah, sure. Um, I actually do th- shit. I, I, I did. I had a thing. Oh, yeah, it was, it was the Tina Fey thing. Okay, my, my pick of the week is going to be uh, this picture of Tina Fey serving cheese fries in New York. So apparently the, she there's going to be a Mean Girls the Musical or something. 
So apparently today, just to promote it, she was just in a food truck serving free cheese fries to people in New York, and that's awesome. Because Tina Fey's the best, and she's my favorite person in the entire world, basically. <laughs> I, I, I can second that. Did you ever read or listen to the audiobook for Bossy Pants? Uh, I have not, but the the lady friend absolutely loves that and has listened to the audiobook multiple times. Okay, I would like I I read the book because I did it immediately, and I don't think the audiobook was out yet, or at least Audible wasn't like advertising on every third syllable of spoken word stuff. Um, but no, it, it's a good book, so I I assume the audiobook is even better. So it's been a couple of years, so I should probably go buy that. Oh, she's the best. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. And that was probably an hour and ten. We we give you this time back in your day, and you can go, uh, yeah, go go get them. Go have a a web Webex meeting somewhere. Yeah, go troubleshoot uh, troubleshoot Citrix and Webex for the hour that you have back in your day. Exactly.